Hi Church, my name is Steph and I'm a member of our 7pm service at Kirribilli and it's my total pleasure to be reading the Word of God for us today. The story from the life of Jesus that we're going to be exploring together comes from the account that was recorded by the disciple John and it can be found at chapter 11 beginning at verse 1 and going all the way through to verse 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, 
Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Mary had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone load laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. That is a person of Jesus Christ. We have seen his glory, his splendor, his mightiness, his, his majesty, his otherness, his weightiness. As Jesus stepped into this world, as he walked on the earth, as he helped and healed, as he performed miracles and preached sermons, we get a glimpse, just a glimpse of the splendor, the the majesty, the glory of God. We have seen his glory. It's here in the scriptures. 
And that's our goal in this series, that you might see the glory of Jesus Christ. As you see Jesus, you might believe and have life that is truly life in his name. So we are praying that through this sermon series, that people might come to faith. For the very first time, people might see just how glorious Jesus is and repent and believe and find life that is truly life. We're praying for that. But I hope you know that belief, believing, is not a one-off event. Believing is something that you grow in, you increase in your faith. And God wants to, to stretch and to strengthen your faith. As you encounter Jesus and see the glory of Jesus, you, you get to experience Jesus in a, a, an intimate, a new, deeper way. And so church, please don't be satisfied with a, a limited belief or a shallow faith. Would you pursue a, a deep, wide, rich, intimate, increasing faith? That's up there. Now here's the key verse for today. It's the last of the I am statements. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believe, lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I have read that verse at countless funerals because it's so comforting. Jesus is saying that the death is not the end, that you have life in him, life beyond the grave. Now for me, death has just been an everyday part of my life. Right from childhood, I was surrounded by death. I have watched dear friends die to, to murder, to suicide, car crashes and cancer. Death for me is a normal part of life. Now, don't mishear me. I don't want to minimize the pain of death. I'm not trivializing death. Death is horrific. When you lose someone that you love, that, that gut-wrenchingly, heart-achingly sadness and sorrow that you feel because of that hole, that vacuum in your life, it is terrible. But... But if that person was a believer in Jesus, if he is the resurrection and the life, then that just totally transforms your grief, doesn't it? Jesus says, I am the resurrection. He says, whoever believes in me will live, live beyond the grave. That He is the one who can give you a, a resurrection life with a new body, a perfect body, a perfect mind. That transforms your grief. That's what I'm excited about. But he also says, I am the life. I'm the one who gives eternal life, but eternal life doesn't just start then. Eternal life starts now, the moment that you believe. And so he says, uh, those who, who live, they actually live beyond the grace. So death doesn't interrupt your eternal life. Death is just that gateway where you're ushered into the presence of Jesus. And you get to see his glory face to face. I have the absolute honor last year of conducting the cremation service for Sam Chapman. Sam was a great man of God. Uh, he was a fit, strong, intelligent, healthy man just starting university when he was diagnosed with leukemia. 
And over 10 long years, that terrible disease, it, it caused him to, to lose his ability, to, to lose his future. It, it was debilitating. Now, as graft versus host disease attacked his body, he lived with constant excruciating pain. As his world shrunk, his faith seemed to flourish. And that might sound weird. But you know, as Sam dug into the scriptures, uh, those theological truths weren't just theological truths anymore. They were personally revealed to him. He encountered Jesus in a, a fresh and new and lively way. It didn't minimize the pain. But he got to see the glory of Jesus here. On the day that he died, I, I sat with his parents, Ken and Judy and his siblings, Liv and Max. And the pain and the numbness was palpable. And yet, there was a profound peace in that room. Why? Because Jesus was Sam's resurrection and Sam's life. And Jesus transformed that grief. Uh, both the cremation service and the memorial service, uh, they, were, they were raw, they were real, there was tears, there was sobbing, there was sadness, and yet we were grieving with hope. And do you know what? God has and will use Sam's life and Sam's death to bring many people to saving faith. And God has and will use Sam's life and death to stretch our faith, to strengthen our faith, that we might encounter Jesus in that real and lively way like Sam did as he learned to live and die well. See, when you believe that Jesus is life and your resurrection, you live well, you grieve well, and you die well. So in John 11, and Jesus is teaching about resurrection and life, uh, not in a lecture hall, but at a funeral, at a funeral of a loved family friend. And he's using this moment of mourning to reveal his glory so that some might come to saving faith and others might be strengthened in their faith. So number one, we have seen his love. We've seen his love. Come with me to John 11. Verse one, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He's really sick. He's about to die. Verse 1, he was from Bethany, the village of, of Mary and his sister Martha. Remember that family? They're some of Jesus' closest friends. He, he loved this family. He loved them. Now, three times in John 11, we're told that he loved them. Verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The word there for love is the word filio love, that brotherly love, that friendship love, that deep personally committed, caring love. That's how Jesus felt about him. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And the word there for love is the agape love. It's the, the divine, the sacrificial, the, the steadfast, the unconditional love. So, so Jesus really, really loved these people. Jesus loved them. And so he immediately rushed to Lazarus' side and healed him. Is that the way the story goes? No. Look at verse 6. It's probably the most inappropriate so in the whole Bible. 
Jesus loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus loved them, and so he spent two more days knowing that Lazarus was getting sicker and knowing that he had the power to heal the sickness, and he allowed Lazarus to die and deliberately delayed. That does not sound very loving to me, does it? Although, to be honest, perhaps Lazarus was loving being in glory with his resurrection body. Perhaps Lazarus actually resented being brought back to life. But for Mary and Martha and for those left behind, how is it loving that Jesus does nothing? Have you ever asked that? Now, when you lose someone that you love and when that sickness is not healed and when you know that Jesus has the power but he doesn't seem to act, you ask, does he really love me? Uh, listen carefully. We tend to interpret the love of Jesus through our circumstances. And so we say, if God really loves me, then I shouldn't be sick and I shouldn't be sad and I won't face tragedy and I won't face injustice. We've got to turn it on his head and learn to interpret our circumstances through the lens of the love of Jesus. We learn to ask, okay, God, I really don't like what I'm going through, but how am I experiencing your love right now in a new, deep profound way how am I seeing your glory right now why did Jesus delay we're told in verse 4 to reveal his glory to show his power to raise the dead and he wanted to increase their faith they'd witness his resurrection to have a deeper faith they would experience his comfort to have a deeper faith J.C. Ra says this to make us believe more to make us believe more is the end of all Christ's dealing with us. Do you believe that? It's like Jesus allows these sisters to, to experience this deep sadness, this deep sorrow, this deep pain, so that they could get a glimpse of his glory and his love in a way they hadn't yet experienced it before. He takes them to this place where they can glimpse his glory. Journey Erickson Tarder says this. She was left a quadriplegic. She says, My accident was not a tragedy, but a gift. A gift God was using to help me conform me into the image of Christ. I know that is, unpop is unpopular, but it is true. John Piper says, Love means giving us what we need most. And what we need most is not necessarily a healing. What we need most is a full, endless experience of the glory of God. Seeing, admiring, marveling at, saving the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And when you start to think like that, when you say, I know Jesus loves me, so how does he want me to experience his love in and through this terrible situation? And then your faith might increase. A woman came to church whose mother had died during that week. And a seven-year-old boy stood at the door sobbing and he said, I prayed for your mother, I prayed for your mother, but she died. The woman looked at the boy and said, I know that you want the best for my mother. And God in his love, he loved her so much that he loved her enough to take her home to be with Jesus. Your prayers were answered. Do you believe that God really loves you? Number two, we've seen his power. 
We've seen his power. Martha and Mary are about to see the power of Jesus. It is one thing to to heal the sick, but, but to raise the dead. Only God, the source of life, has the power to raise the dead. And Jesus is claiming that he is God. He has that power. He's done it before. He raised the widow of Nameson in Luke 7. He raised Lazarus' daughter in Luke 8. And now he's about to raise Lazarus as they head to Bethany. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, oh, oh, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And, and the disciples think he's talking about natural sleep. You know, sleep it off, get better. But Jesus is talking about his death because in the Bible, a sleep is a beautiful method, metaphor for death. And if you've watched someone die, you know that is true. Uh, when you sleep, when you go to sleep at night, it, it is temporary, it's not permanent, you'll wake up again. And Jesus says, as we sleep in death, it's not permanent. We'll wake up again on that last day with a beautiful body to eternal life. We're just sleeping. It's not the end. Uh, When they get there, verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already been dead for four days. Now you do the maths. Two days waiting Two days walking, he's been dead for four days, 96 hours, without breathing, without his heart beating, he's totally dead. And they rightly mourn, verse 19. Many Jews come together to comfort them and they mourn. You know, and the Jewish people really mourn well. I think in, here in Australia, we tend to mourn badly. We, we bottle up our grief, we keep it private we don't like to talk about it. it's awkward but these people they grieve well they gather and they weep the word there is they are wailing it is loud it's demonstrative it's not sobbing they just miss this person they want to express their gut aching pain they grieve well and now enter martha verse 20 i love martha uh, people say i'm a bit like martha She has a real faith, but she just likes to keep busy all the time. She's always on the go. She couldn't sit still, and maybe ADD. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but but Mary stayed at home. Lord, she said, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Now, that's not a complaint. That's a statement of faith. She's expressing her confidence in the power of Jesus. She knows that Jesus has the power to heal the sick. He said, if you'd been there, Jesus, you could have and you would have healed Lazarus. She believes in the power of Jesus. But it is limited power. Her faith is so shallow. Lord, if you had been here. Do you see how she's limiting the power of Jesus, he had to be there physically present to heal him. Does she not believe that Jesus could heal with just a word from a distance? He's done that before. She does believe, but it's limited belief. She does believe, but it's kind of like textbook, doctrinally correct faith. Verse 23, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, oh, I know he will rise again. I've done my doctrine course. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that, Jesus. I know the scriptures. It talks about the last day of resurrection, Psalm 16, Psalm 49, Daniel 12. I can quote Bible and verse. 
I know there'll be a day called Resurrection Day, at the last day when every human being will be raised again, some to eternal life and some to eternal condemnation. I know that. Have you ever met those people who, they do have a genuine faith, a saving faith. They've got great Bible knowledge, but, but you really question whether they believe in a, a personal, daily, experiential encounter with the powerful Lord Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection isn't just a proposition, it's a person. And that person who is standing at the end of time to judge us is the person standing before Martha right here, right now, with infinite power. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Here I am. My power isn't limited to that last day. Watch me, believe me, see me give life-giving power right here, right now. See, here's the thing for for, for Martha. The power of Jesus, that resurrection power, is all future. She's surviving now, clinging on now, reaching that great final day, and then the power will begin. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You can see my power now or today, because life, eternal life, it starts the moment that you believe, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and in me by his Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted Martha to believe he could and would raise Lazarus that very day. He's powerful to do that. Do you believe that? I wonder whether someone's listening right now. We've got faith. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah, tick. The Son of God, tick. We believe in the cross and the resurrection and the last and the final day of resurrection. But do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ the risen, reigning, conquering Lord Jesus is able and powerful to act today. Do you believe that? He can heal the sick. He can comfort the hurting. He can free you from that sin that entangles you. He can provide an extraordinary and yes, miraculous way. He can do that. Now to demonstrate his extraordinary power, he's going to raise Lazarus. He's going to breathe new life into this dead corpse, and yet Martha still does not yet believe. Look down to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Does that sound familiar? Take away the stone, he said. And Martha says, but Lord... By this time there's a bad odour. The authorised version says, by this time he stinketh. For he's been there for four days. Now, now do you see how Martha doesn't actually believe that Jesus can do this? Verse 40. I love verse 40. Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. You will see the, the power and the might of God. See, see, we say seeing is believing. And Jesus says, if you believe, then you will see. Do you spot that? If you believe, if you open your hearts and minds to really believe, if you believe things which are humanly impossible, things that require faith, then you'll see in manifold ways the glory of Jesus. You'll be open to seeing Jesus in a new, deep, spectacular, life-transforming way. And Martha's about to see that. Verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! 
It's been said that Jesus had to mention Lazarus by name. Because if he hadn't specified the name Lazarus, then every tomb of every dead person would have come over at that moment because that's how powerful he is. Do you believe in the, the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ? He has power over sin, over sickness, over death. Because death could not hold him down. And if you're not convinced by the raising of Lazarus, come forward to another tomb with another stone rolled away. I mean, the irony is that Jesus' longing to heal and raise Lazarus led to his own death. And Jesus didn't die from sickness, he died from crucifixion. And the sins of the world were poured onto that man, Jesus Christ. And they laid his dead body into the tomb. And on the third day, some weeping women went to that tomb. But the stone was rolled away and the angel says, he is not here, he has risen. That's the extraordinary power of Jesus, that he crashed through the grave, he smashed death, he conquered death, because he has the power to do that. Do you believe that, he says? Do you believe in the risen power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I will die and you will die. Don't know when, don't know how, but we're all going to die. But do you believe that death is not the end? Because your Saviour has the power to give you new life with a new body for all eternity. Do you believe that? I mean, if he can raise the decomposing body of Lazarus, he can raise my body and your body, can't he? Sadly, on this day, not everyone did believe. Many believe, verse 45. Many saw and believed, but many did not. I, I find that quite extraordinary. They, they just witnessed a dead man being raised, but they still didn't believe. They're so stubborn and so proud, they refuse to believe even if someone comes back from the dead. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you, that you are not persuaded, you're not convinced. What more evidence do you need? Today will be a great day to repent and believe in the resurrection power of Jesus. But maybe like Martha, you do believe. But you've limited God's power. You, you really don't expect to experience the power of Jesus in the everyday. So we've seen his love. We've seen his power. We have seen his, lastly, his, his compassion. Let, let's finish with Mary, the other sister, the, the one who always seems to listen, the teachable one. Verse 28, after... Martha has said this. She went and called her sister Mary and said, Teach, the teacher's here and he's asking for you. Friends, when Jesus calls you, you come. I hope you know that. When he calls, you come. In verse 29, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. She, she comes to Jesus just as she is in her heartache, in her hurting, in her sorrow, in her sadness. She, she comes to the one who is not just powerful, but will comfort her. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she, she fell at his feet. There's no emotional restraint. She's just desperate. She adores Jesus. She, she falls at the feet of Jesus. I, I love Mary because every time you meet her in the Bible, she's at the feet of Jesus. Luke 10, she's listening at his feet. John 12, she's wiping his feet with her tears. And here she's, she's weeping at the death of her brother at the feet of Jesus. Church, there is no better place to be 
than the feet of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one who is not just powerful, but he's full of compassion. He's full of love. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Exactly the same words as Martha. Same words, but different person. Because Jesus knows exactly what each person needs. And if Martha needed to see the power of Jesus, Mary needed to see the compassion of Jesus. You see, grief is a terrible thing. When, when someone you love dies, there's this pain that, that the words can't express. You ache, you're exhausted, your, your stomach is twisted, your head is pounding. You, uh, you, are, you are either denying it or you sometimes get angry or you blame anybody. You blame yourself, the things that you didn't say, the things that you didn't do, you blame other people. And you just start, can't stop crying. Now, grief is good. Grief is important. Grief is natural. Yet we grieve differently. We grieve because of the, the hope of the resurrection, but we still grieve. It's strange. I've done some Christian funerals where you know, we're rightly celebrating that person's in glory, but it, but it feels a bit too joyful because we're still sad. We still ache. We're still weeping, and weeping is a good thing, and Mary is weeping. Do you see that, verse 33? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. That, that word deeply moved, it, it means he was indignant. He was emotionally pained by this. Jesus sees sickness and sees suffering and sees sadness and sees grief, and he's saying, this is not the way it was supposed to be. And I hope you feel like that when someone you love dies. Don't bottle it up. We should be saying, this is all wrong. I miss them. I long for them. I want to cuddle them. I want to touch them, smell them. And trust me, when you've experienced grief like that, when you've lost someone that you love, you don't just want pious platitudes. What you really want is the personal presence of Jesus Christ. You want to experience his comfort and his compassion and his care. Well, Jesus has deep empathy. Look at those two words, the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He shed tears. The God of this universe who created all things is weeping from his tear ducts. And it's really odd. It's odd because Jesus knows that in a few minutes he's going to raise him again. Jesus knows how the story is. So he's not, he's not weeping for Lazarus. He's weeping for those who are weeping for Lazarus. He is weeping for those like Mary and Martha who experience this, this sadness and this grief and this sorrow. He's entering into their space of grief and sorrow. He's there to comfort them. Tears of compassion, tears of empathy. Because, verse, verse 36, see how he loved him. Now, now church, I, I know that many of us have, are, and will experience deep pain, deep sadness, deep grief. So please, please just run to Jesus. 
Run to Jesus. Come to him. He's not just able, he really cares. Jesus invites you, he calls you to come to him, to draw near to him just as you are. See, see Mary did not say, Mary didn't say, oh, I've been weeping for four days now, I look a mess, I'm going to clean myself up and then I'll go to Jesus. She goes to Jesus just as we are. See, I think some of us think like that, we think, oh, I've got to get myself sorted, make myself look respectable and then I'll go to Jesus. No, go to Jesus now. Weeping, sobbing, a wretched mess. He's there for you. He wants to care for you. And Mary didn't say, I think I'll try and handle this grief by myself. And if I'm not strong enough, then I'll go to Jesus. Now she just goes to Jesus. She allows Jesus to enter into that space and to hold her and to carry her and to cry with her. Just God doesn't want you to do any of life without him, especially in those moments of pain and grief. He says, come to me, weeping, weak, a sobbing mess, come to me, and you'll experience my compassion and my comfort. Allow me to weep alongside you. If Jesus, in his unfathomable wisdom, should take us through those darkest of valleys, please, please, please don't miss out on seeing his glory and experience this deeper, stronger, more intimate encounter with him. We've seen his love, we've seen his power, we've seen his compassion. So do you believe that? I'm going to hand over to my wife, Rachel, who is a great woman of great faith. Let's hear her story. September 2000 was a momentous time for Sydney. We hosted the Olympics. September 2000 was also a momentous time for me. I'd had the privilege of being raised in a Christian family with beautiful, godly parents. I always knew Jesus loved me, though I didn't really understand grace until my late teens. But in September 2000, a new season of life began for me. This was a season where I experienced God like I never had before where he showed me his faithfulness, his love, his care, his goodness. A season where the eternal life Jesus bought for me on that cross became so very real. It was a season filled with great joy and immense pain. In September 2000, I married Ben. He was a beautiful, fun, godly man. I've met him at church in my final year of university and we started dating. We married the following year. I was 22 and he was 27. The day we married was filled with so much joy. We were excited to begin our new life together. But Ben had always had health issues. He'd suffered from epilepsy his whole life, though I'd never seen him have a seizure as he usually only had them at night. But on the second day of our married life, whilst on our honeymoon, he had a seizure. And from that moment on, he had seizures three to four times a week, sometimes multiple times a night. That first year of marriage was incredibly difficult as I barely got any sleep. Every time Ben moved in bed, I would wake up thinking he was gonna have a seizure. And when he did, I would lie awake for hours, making sure he was okay, even though he'd survived 27 years of them. There were times in that first year of marriage that I wanted to leave. Not because of Ben, he was so kind and lovely. I just wasn't coping with the sleep deprivation. This wasn't what I'd signed up for. But by the grace of God, I didn't leave. 
and God in his face, faithfulness gave me the ability to sleep through the seizures. We wanted to start a family, but we were told that we had a one in two chance of having a child with a genetic disorder. Some kids with this disorder are fine, but many have multiple health issues, including severe developmental delay. It was a huge decision for us to consider even having a baby. Ben and I spent a lot of time talking and praying about it. And again, God and his faithfulness provided just the right people for us to talk to. We decided we would try for a baby and we would love and cherish whatever child God gave us. We eventually fell pregnant and were filled with so much joy and excitement. We were having a baby. Ben had decided to go to Bible college full time and we were really looking forward to this next chapter of our lives. But the day before I went into labour, we found out Ben was sick, really sick. They didn't know exactly what he had, but we knew it was serious. I went into labour the next day and gave birth to Samuel. In the midst of the fear and the unknown we had over Ben's health, the birth of Sam was a beautiful moment, a moment of grace. He appeared to be really healthy and praise God he was, though that wasn't officially confirmed for quite some time. But when Sam was three weeks old, we were given an official di diagnosis for Ben. He had a blood disorder and would only have nine to 12 months to live unless he had a bone marrow transplant. Fortunately, a bone marrow match was found and four months later, after many trips and admissions to hospital for blood transfusions and infections, Ben finally went into hospital to have the transplant. At first, things were looking really good, but a few weeks later, Ben developed graft versus host disease and his health started to deteriorate. I remember one particular evening when Ben was really sick and he texted me and asked me to come back to the hospital. I'd been with him most of the day, so this was a little unusual. But when I got there, he asked me to open his Bible and read aloud Hebrews chapter 12 to him. These verses talk about running the race and keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. When I finished reading, he looked up at me and he said, Whatever happens, Rach, I want you to keep trusting Jesus. Just keep fixing your eyes on him. That was one of the things I loved the most about Ben, his rock-solid faith. He was never angry, he never said, why me? He just accepted what he had and kept trusting Jesus. It was also a real humbling moment for me. He was this man who was in so much pain and agony, yet he was still encouraging me. A couple of weeks later, I was given the devastating news that Ben only had a very short time left to live. You never want to hear that news. On the morning of the day that he died, I was sitting with him in his room with his sister cursed. While we were just sitting there waiting for him to die, the spirit prompted us to pick up a little calendar that someone had given Ben when he first went into hospital. It was one of those calendars that has a different verse on it for each day of the year. I used to think they were a bit cheesy. <laughs> it hadn't been looked at for a few weeks, but Curse picked it up and decided to look at what it said for that date. It was Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We knew he was going to die that day. She then turned the page to see what the verse for the following day was. It was Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Ben died later that night. The moment that he died, I felt despair like never before. 
I was 27, now a widow and a single mum. I hadn't been in my life plan. When I left the room, I had a choice to make. I could either choose to run to Jesus or I could want to run away from him. By the grace of God, I ran to Jesus. And a peace came over me in that moment. That peace didn't take away the pain, didn't take away the sadness, the grief, the loneliness. But it was as if God was saying to me, yes, I've taken Ben away, but he's with me now. He's no longer in pain. He's not suffering. He's not having seizures. He has a new perfect body and he's with his saviour. Keep trusting me. I'll carry you. There's going to be some really hard days, but I'm with you and I won't let you go. And he hasn't. The days, weeks, months and years that followed were really hard. But God has carried me. Because of Jesus, I know where Ben is. I know I'll see him again. And I know Sam will see his dad. I would never wish what I went through on anyone, but I'm so thankful God took me through it. I've experienced God in ways I didn't think I ever would. And the truths of the Bible are not just facts. They are life-giving and death-transforming. And that's why I will run the race and fix my eyes on Jesus.